Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to a Disney at Play podcast today. We uh, are really glad to bring this topic. I've been working on this for several weeks, and uh, I think it's a perfect timing to bring this uh, podcast to bear uh, with all the the difficult news of uh, coronavirus and everything around the world. Uh, you may not hear this for another year or two after it's recorded, but but at the time, coronavirus had just come out, and, and um, we just I just felt really strong that this podcast um, offered uh, something magical and something uh, wonderful and something hopeful um, to the scene, and so. Uh, and so we bring it to you today. Last month, we started a series that compared attractions across the theme parks around the world. Uh, we started with a look at Disney castles across the globe. That was very popular. We had good reception on that, and we wanted to continue in that vein. Now, um, while many have talked about how It's a Small World came to be, Few have really, if any, have really done any sort of comparison of how these attractions stack up one to another. Now, after all, most people are thinking, oh, well, you've seen one doll, you've seen them all, right? You know, and I've been through the ride. It's already, you know, you go through the ride once, that song sticks to your mind. It never goes away. So why would you want to go through six versions of this? And I totally get that. But however... Um, in this podcast, we offer a comparison chart, a post, photos, and videos along with this podcast. So um, I think it's going to give you an, a vision of how It's a Small World is carried out in Disney theme parks around the world. And so make sure you, uh, you stay tuned to not only this podcast, but check out the notes page at DisneyPlay.com because it has all of those elements, a comparison chart especially, that we use to kind of look at at the attraction at in six different versions. Now, there are six Disney resorts around the world, but one resort does not have It's a Small World, and that resort is the newest, uh, Shanghai Disneyland. However, there are six versions of this attraction, Disneyland, Magic Kingdom, Tokyo Disneyland, Disneyland Paris, Hong Kong Disneyland, but also before any of those were established, there was the New York World's Fair. Um, the New York World's Fair was created for Pepsi-Cola, and it was the last of four attractions that Walt Disney prepared for that fair. Robert Moses was the head of the New York World's Fair. He was enamored with Disney, especially uh, this concept of audio animatronics, he introduced Walt and got him connected um, to, to um, those who were sponsoring exhibits at the fair. Uh, Ford wanted to do an exhibit which ultimately ended up being um, uh, about dinosaurs and cavemen and so forth. That's how we ended up with the primeval world at Disneyland and eventually the kind of dinosaurs you saw at the Universe of Energy. Um, General Electric. Uh, ended up doing the Carousel of Progress plus some uh, addendum attractions that were added to that. That eventually worked its way to Disneyland and then to Walt Disney World. Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln was done for the state of Illinois. 
And uh, that obviously came back home to Disneyland in the form of, of that attraction on Main Street and then ultimately became or unfolded into what became the Hall of Presidents at Walt Disney World. Um, it's a Small World was a last add-on. In fact, um, there's consideration by the Imagineers that they ought not take on an additional uh, project, but Walt was adamant about doing so and agreed to it. Um, yet the, and, and so it became actually the first version of the attraction. And it is an amazing attraction given that they really had uh, the little better part of a year to put it together and to build it from scratch, all the while pulling together these three other major attraction for the new, attractions for the New York World's Fair. So they had a lot on their hands during this time. And the fact that they came out with such an attraction that was that was so universally beloved is um, is is pretty phenomenal. Of of all four attractions, there's no question that one has has stuck more than um, any of the other four. It opened on what I believe was opening day for the New York World's Fair, which was April twenty second of nineteen sixty four. Um. We're uncertain as to how the length was on this, um, but, let me, but let me talk first about the exterior. The exterior was a mid-century, um, modern, contemporary. It was not an impressive um, show building. However, to make it more attractive and to uh, capture the attention of fairgoers going, you know, because all these uh, fair attractions were kind of competing um, with each other architecturally. Walt uh, Disney um, had designed uh, what became uh, known as the Tower of the Four Winds. And I'm going to, in another podcast, and by the way, I should mention, that there are actually two podcasts this week. We're going to talk about some stories behind this. But today we're just talking about kind of a comparative view of it. But that um, that attraction um, had this Tower of Four Winds, which was just really a very clever use or design of windmills and and whirling. Um, uh, images and so forth that that took to the breeze and kind of provided a, a mosaic of color uh, as you entered the attraction. It did not end up being a very successful looking. What the design was stunningly beautiful. The model was very clever, um, and in fact, we have video to show how the model looked like looked. But when it actually got to execution. It it did not uh, it did not execute the same way that it was designed, and larger piping had to be used to actually support the structure of it. So the front of this attraction did not work. Um, however, and so and so when they went to Disneyland, it was a completely different thing that that was created. However, the interior was largely the same. There were essentially four major regions that were um, placed in this, Europe, Asia, 
Africa as well as the Middle East, and then South and Central America. Plus a, a finale piece to it. Um, in many of the signature pieces you see in almost every small world were created originally for the New York World's Fair version. So you see Scandinavian singers, dancers, and skaters. You see uh, Danish toy soldier guards at Tivoli Gardens. And by, by, by the way, most people don't know that little pra uh, parade of toy soldiers. That actually um, is set against a, um, a stylistic backdrop of an art um, of some architecture at Tivoli Gardens. Tivoli Gardens was an inspiration to Walt Disney and the development of Disneyland, the idea that of all the twinkling lights on Main Street and, and other things came um, in large contribution from Tivoli Gardens. Um, and that is actually represented there and it's a small world and has been in every small world. English school children on the London Bridge um, the chess pieces actually came in Disneyland later on, but the Emerald Isle with the leprechauns, the Scottish bagpipes playing on Plaid Mountain Hills, uh, a little girl leading a flock of singing geese, can-can um, dancers in Gay Paris, uh, wooden shoe children sitting on tulips, one of the most uh, iconic um, images of the attraction. Uh, sunny Spain with musicians, dancers, plus Don Quixote and Sancho represented in some form or another, in this case, puppet version. Uh, a Leaning Tower of Pisa with the Leaning Tower of Pisa with uh, the gondolas of Venice, Swiss yodelers and bells, and a little German band. All those were part of the Europe section of this attraction, and they've carried on. I, I, I don't think you can find any of this missing in any of the small worlds that have since played on. Then you round it into Asia, which um, kind of took you starting with Greek, with a Greek shepherd boy playing on his pipes of pan, and then kind of moved toward high-stepping Cossacks dancing to a balalaika band. Uh, there was a Middle East festive marketplace with tambourine dancers, silhouette of a golden goddess reigning over ballet dancers, musicians, and a Bengal tiger. Indian snake charmers alongside veiled dancers from India dancing along the, the Taj Mahal. All this with flying carpets above. Japanese boys flying dragon kites and kimono clad girls singing. All of those elements, again, have been carried over in just about every attraction since. And by the way, you should know that, that there's always two components to a small world attraction. One is the dolls that anim animatronically sing along to... Um, the song, It's a Small World. We'll talk about that song in, in another uh, podcast. But there were also toys and animals built, some of which had some element of animation to it, but were not audio animatronic characters per se. Um, many of them were um, uh, really styrofoam and paper mache kinds of things created um, alongside, but uh, some of these attractions, most of these attractions, they you actually get about 300 of these different kinds of props and toys and dolls and animals um, that, that become part of it. And they're separate of the audio animatronics. Moving into Africa and the Middle East, you have Cleopatra reclining on a couch. You have a, a lone boy on his camel surveying the pyramids. 
Uh, you have native African princesses dancing in a circle. And the most, um, and the biggest scene of all is this African savanna of hippos, monkeys, giraffes, rhinos, lions, elephants, crocodiles, and of course the infamous uh, laughing hyena. Uh, then you get to Central and South America. You have the penguins of Antarctica with gaucho style hats. You have a llama and reed boat high in the South American Andes. You have a rainforest of exotic birds and animals. A carnival, carnival of dancers and musicians along a swirling boardwalk of Copacabana Beach and Rio de Janeiro. A Latin American marketplace with pottery makers and flower vendors. And then Central American dancers stand, circling under a large sombrero. Um, all of these elements were in place for the original Small World um, and the New York World's Fair, and they all played a part of it. And, um, and the ride system was uh, really important. Um, it was a system that was developed uh, with the idea that water pumps could pr create propulsion in a trough that would guide the boat um, through the entire uh, set of scenes. And so this became uh, the first boat ride. It ultimately led to the idea that rather than doing a museum walkthrough for Pirates of the Caribbean, they would do a boat ride for it. And so um, Pirates of the Caribbean and Small Worlds have all had boat rides ever since. There are also a couple other um, attractions, the original Rio del Tiempo, which um, later was rethemed to Three Caballeros and Mexico at Epcot, also is a boat ride that's been used. And then Sinbad's um, storybook Voyage at um, Tokyo Disneyland also uses the same boat system to move its guests. So that has been a very successful uh, approach. When you go on the New York World's Fair version, and ultimately what became also the Disneyland version, you are in a sort of trough. There is a uh, space of a foot or two on each side of the boat, but um, but it that's where the water resides. And that allows a lot of lighting to be brought up underneath and, um, and, uh, and sent onto the different show scenes that are in play. Um, the original New York World's Fair, there was no retail store at the end of it when you walked off. There was, um, and, and, um, and probably the most unique thing about this, and it's a good transition to, to the Disneyland version, is that there was no South Seas or Australia. There was no, none of that was really represented in the original It's a Small World. So one of the very smart things about building these attractions for the World's Fair is Walt was able to use the money to kind of do the research, to do all of the, the heavy design and work and, and um, installation of these attractions. And then they were picked up, taken, and brought back to Disneyland. Some of some of those attractions were literally um, taken set piece by set piece. 
some of those attractions they kind of recreated it for Disneyland for instance Lincoln was a separate uh, animatronic I believe than the one used in the New York World's Fair that was kind of a version two but the Disneyland came Disneyland attraction came back in 1966 and the thing that is most notable about the Disneyland version from the New York World's Fair is its approach its exterior Clearly, Raleigh Crump, who had designed the Tower of the Four Winds, had seen that, and I want to share this story in a couple of days, so come back to me on this, but they, Walton, he had realized that this wasn't working, and so a new design was created, and that design has become what has become infamous with It's a Small World, this, this white-on-white um, architecture, whimsical, um, Mary Blair abstract design. Um, with a clock tower in the center of it um, with that would go off every 15 minutes. It would click on, you'd hear the clicking of the clock all throughout the day, but every 15 minutes, uh, trumpeteers would come out and then a parade of dolls uh, would come, uh, come parading out and then, the, and then chimes would come and the, and the hour of the t day was pronounced of you know, 11 a.m., 11.15 a.m., 11.30 a.m., 11.45, 12 noon, and so forth all through the day. Um, and that's probably the most noticeable thing you see with, um, with Disneyland is that, uh, that, that front, which has become just such an infamous um, view. But there are other differences to this attraction from the New York World's Fair version. Um, Two sections, as I mentioned, were added. Um, a South Seas section was added, and also a North Pole section was added, which, which wasn't included um, earlier. Also included, from what I can tell, that this was not in play because the thing, the going back to the exterior, one of the unique things about the exterior is that the Disneyland Railroad would, would go through the front of the show building, but behind the clock tower and the loading area. So it kind of interwove in through the building of the exterior. What that required though, is that the exterior um, loading area, once you got through, it had to go further in order to get into the show building portion. And as a result of that, they added what was kind of, um, a welcome and farewell section. So when you go in, you see these different signs that say, welcome, bienvenue, um, hola, uh, and then at the end, um, aloha or adios or whatever different languages offering a farewell. And the reason those sections were added was that it allowed uh, a smaller space to, it, it filled up the smaller space that was required to get you underneath the train tracks and back into the show building behind the facade of the building. So those elements were added um, into Disneyland's version. Its layout um, was um, pretty much otherwise equivalent to the New York World's Fair, other than these two sections added on. And, um, and it had a trough uh, designed for the... Um, for the uh, the boats going through, 
just as it did in the New York World's Fair. And the loading and loading area was done on the outside of the building, um, in the exterior area. Now at New York World's Fair, because of weather, they had it covered, but at Disneyland, they don't cover that um, exterior. You come in, and by the way, the loading unloading happens in the same location. You get on, you get off in the same location um, as you board the attraction. So, so, um, so that was really unique. Um, defined. Now, the only other thing I'll say about Disneyland is that because it's so close to Imagineering, as these other small worlds were added on and as other little sections were added on and other things came to be, and as the attraction then became the oldest of all the small worlds, other things would be added on to It's a Small World. And it went through many variations, including Disney characters, which we'll talk about a little later on. But, um, but one of the things they added on um, a number of years ago was a, a holiday version of It's a Small World. And we have a video of it located on the show notes page. And it took the Deck the Halls and Jingle Bells and interwoven it with the It's a Small World number and redecorated. If, you, if it wasn't colorful enough to begin with, adding holiday decorations throughout the entire attraction took it to another totally different level and became wildly popular with, um, with the crowds out in California. Remember that the crowds in California are a more local group. Um, and so they're looking for, they you have over a million annual pass holders. They're looking for something different. And it's a small world holiday. Oh my goodness. That is one of the favorite things. And I got to tell you of all of the holiday offerings Disney offers across the world. And I've seen just about all of them. I will say there is nothing more joyous than small world holiday um, that runs at Disneyland. It is beautifully done. And when you look at the video, they also do this thing where they do a lighting ceremony as it as as dusk turns to evening. And when the lights come on on the front of It's a Small World, it is joyous and glorious and unbelievable. And so over the years, lots of little things have been added onto a small world to just really um, accentuate the attraction and so Disneyland has the most um, uh, most involved I would say most intricate most um, uh, involved and evolved um, version of any of them now we're gonna just do a total um, uh, reverse on all of this when we take a look at the Magic Kingdom the Disneyland's opened at May 26th of 1966, the Magic Kingdom ver version would open on opening day of, of Walt Disney World, which was October 1st, 1971. The difference here is now when they built the Disneyland version, needing that big show building and having so many of the attractions already gathered in Fantasyland, there's, a, there's an alleyway, so to speak, a large alleyway, which then became, um, uh, well, it was also the parade uh, route, they took a small world and made it kind of an anchor at the end of this large um, parade route alleyway. And it sections itself off. The clock doesn't really go with 
the European Bavarian kind of village of Fantasyland, but that's okay. It's kind of separated out and it's kind of toward the back. When they designed Magic Kingdom, they wanted to bring It's a Small World into that that um, European uh, feel and look. And so um, while some show buildings, a lot more show buildings than the original Disneyland, had architectural elements taken directly from Europe, um, there were still a lot of tent-looking type designs for Disneyland, and they carried that tent-like medieval fair tent is, some people call it troubadour style, but that's really relating more to poetry. But anyway, they took this tent style and they made it the facade of, of It's a Small World. And then they also did something unique in that they made the loading and unloading area inside as opposed to outside, which was a brilliant idea because you have these rains that come in the middle of summer in Florida, and it would have really stopped things. You just, there are times where it just pours. And being able to hold the cube, being able to hold the attraction completely without having to deal with the rains, just brilliant. But when they designed that, it ended up pushing the alleyway. And what is the problem is, is that Small World at Magic Kingdom is across from Peter Pan, and it is a very thin alleyway. And they have kept working and reworking that space to get more space in between, to get more foot traffic in between. But it is the most stopped up, backed up space in all of Magic Kingdom. It is um, too, too narrow a space. And so it becomes a little overwhelming in that area. Also, the tent style, frankly, is very... Um, um, not very creative. It's just kind of there. Um, originally, there were murals which greeted you as you came into, Mary Blair style murals, which you got as you came into the interior portion uh, with the queue and the boarding area. Uh, a number of years ago, they changed all that and they added the clock um, a, a version of the clock. It was a downgraded, budgeted version of the clock because you don't see the dolls come out of the clock. All you get are the toy soldiers and the time. But hey, they added that that um, that white um, Mary Blair abstract design to the interior of it. The other thing I'll say about... Oh, and I, I have to say, one of the unique aspects of this, I love this about the attraction, is you... As you head off and you begin your journey um, on the seven seas of It's a Small World, you look up and you see these windows. Pinocchio's Village House is next door. And I'll tell you what, this is my favorite spot for my kids. They love being next to these windows. Do you do the same thing? They love being next to these windows. And sometimes uh, the restaurant will have these signs that will say wave to us or something, you know, that you can hold up to the windows. But just looking on to this whole thing from it's a it's a, uh, from the Pinocchio's Village House is kind of a unique feature of this attraction. The other thing that is unique, um, besides having added well, two things that are unique about the ride itself, is they have added a um, they have added a whole section to Australia and to the Pacific into the Walt Disney World version. So that becomes a big section 
that stages between South and Central America and then the finale. Um, by the way, the finale, which is done in all pinks and past pastel pinks at Disneyland is done in pastel blues and purples in Walt Disney World at the Magic Kingdom. But the other thing that is a big difference of the Walt Disney World version is that you are not in a trough style um, uh, experience. You are actually sitting on what's called a flooded plane. That flooded plane idea came out of Pirates of the Caribbean because they didn't want you to look like you were in a trough. They wanted you to look like you were on the open seas of the Caribbean. And so they, they, you ride on a, within a rail area that keeps that water um, pushing your boat through, but the water is still able to bleed out over a pond. I love the flooded plane look. It just feels more seamless. The downside of that is it makes it a more difficult attraction to, um, to light. And stage lighting and all of that, getting that just right and getting that color to come alive and pop out, very much more difficult at, at Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. And so as a result, uh, they, they do most of the lighting from the ceiling and the ceiling's very high and it's coming through and over time, They've become, I, I hate to say it, but careless about their lighting. Sometimes they look like they have sawed a hole in the ceiling um, that, they, that they hired a kindergartner to do, to saw that hole. It's just, it's, it's poorly cut out. It's, it's poor show. It's just really poor show. And the lights still aren't as effective and it has never really worked. And in fact, I will tell you of all of the small worlds, I'll tell you at the end which one is my favorite, but of all the small worlds, the Magic Kingdom is the most disappointing one. Um, now I've captured a video on it, and I have to say when I captured the video the other day, it seemed like there were some little touches being made to this attraction to make it better. But things like um, the, the tent covering of the um, when you board the attraction and the individual who operates the system that waves to you as you go through, that that whole section above that, that roof section hadn't been dusted in years. It was just gross how it had caked dust and there were just things that were not being paid attention to. I have to say it's improved, but I can also tell you that it's still the least of all the small world experiences. And... It, it just isn't it just isn't as good as the others and and I'll and I'll share more of that um, as we move forward by the way the Magic Kingdom version seems to be about a minute and a half less than the Disneyland version the Disneyland version seems to be the longest and when I say the longest I'm measuring actually the moment from which you see the show usually it's Scandinavia or the North Pole all the way to the end of the um, the uh, finale piece. I'm not measuring the time and length in the welcome and uh, farewell scenes or in the loading or unloading, just measuring the actual show itself inside the show building. It's about 11 minutes at Disneyland. It's about nine and a half minutes at Magic Kingdom. It seems a little less at Tokyo Disneyland, which is surprising, but I think that's due to the fact that when I measured it, um, they had just gone through a major rehab and I think that their propulsion, and it really is probably more depending on the propulsion 
of those uh, of that water and how strong that uh, that propulsion system is. Let's move to Tokyo Disneyland. It opened in April 15th, 1983, and um, with the opening of Tokyo Disneyland. And when the Japanese built Tokyo Disneyland, they really kind of took the best out of both parks. So you get the New Orleans, Pirates of the Caribbean uh, version, you get the Space Mountain Disneyland version, um, but you also get Cinderella Castle out of uh, out of Magic Kingdom. In the case of Small World, they took from both. They took the facade of it's this, of of the facade of Disneyland's It's a Small World with the whole clock and everything. They took it um, for this attraction, but the interior portion is almost an exact duplicate ride through of the Walt Disney World with the flooded plane. Again, the flooded plane is the better look if you can light it right. Um, there is, um, um, uh, there is one of the other things that was very unique about Tokyo's is that they added a stage to the front of the um, of the show building, and for many years, and we got some, we have videos showing what this looks like. But for many years, they did a sort of King Kids of the Kingdom style show in the forecourt of this uh, small world. It's moved actually with it's moved to the right of Fantasyland. It's actually across from Pinocchio's Village House. Admittedly, it's kind of not fitting with the medieval Bavarian look that you're supposed to have in Fantasyland, but but it just it still works. The other thing I will add that when you visit the It's a Small World attraction, every location, what you hear in the exterior is usually you hear the clock and you hear an instrumental version of It's a Small World. At Tokyo Disneyland, for years, they have actually played not the, the, the show song, but they've actually played different songs like Frere Jaca or different little songs from across the world um, in the exterior portion. So it's, it's, kind of, it's always been a little different in that regard. Now, let me come back to let me come back to Tokyo Disneyland at the end because it did do a major rehab um, uh, just a couple of years ago that um, honestly, um, when I went through it, when I went to Tokyo Disneyland for the first time, I'd say about six or seven years ago, I wrote It's a Small World and there was nothing memorable about the experience. That has changed entirely and it is a very different ride experience experience in terms of its look and feel. By the way, I also should mention that they they amplified the couple of things um, in Tokyo Disney. They did amplify um, uh, the different cultures in Asia a little bit more than the Disneyland Walt Disney World version had, obviously recognizing that they see Asia as being much broader and more diverse than we do. We see it at um, in the United States. Disneyland Paris 
opened, uh, its version opened with uh, the park itself on April 12th of 1992. It um, did a number of things differently. In fact, we have a video of Tom Morris talking about the changes that were made to uh, the Small World version. Um, the first time I rode this attraction, and by the way, I, my memories of It's a Small World go back to the opening year. I remember riding it way, way back in 66. And I had, so I this attraction I have grown up with. And so when I first went and saw it in Disneyland Paris, I immediately saw this was a very different small world. The difference was hard to quite nail at first. Definitely was more colorful. Definitely the music was more orchestrated, but the biggest thing I noticed that this thing went fast. <laughs> it, you were over this ride. So if you didn't like the song, just suffer through because it's over really quick. In fact, the time, the length of the song is um, about six minutes compared to what I find to be about nine and a half, about nine, nine, nine and a half minutes for the Magic Kingdom, Tokyo versions a little less on Tokyo because its systems are, are working stronger, but but it is definitely several minutes less than everybody else's small world. Um, but that's not all. There are other differences. It follows the trough style, um, which allows it to have more of that color that we talk about in the show. That's That's very helpful to it. Um, it is really, when you go into It's a Small World, you're really going into different sections. And I named the four sections originally with the original version. I added then the Pacific, um, Pacific, uh, Australian section, South Seas section. And then of course there's always been the finale section. Um, so in this situation, they just kind of created It's a Small World in one room. And there are arches and flats that kind of separate the different scenes. So you only see one scene at a time. But the fullness of the whole thing, you you feel like you're still in the whole of it rather than in sections of it. And it is um, it's just very different. Also, um, if you so going back to the music, I have tried to listen to the Paris version versus the original versions, which play pretty much elsewhere. Um, and I noticed that that the Paris version plays at about 125 beats per minute, as opposed to the original version, which is 120 beats per minute. So between that and the fact that this seems a little shorter and the, your boat's moving, hustling through, it just seems like you're over this in, in nothing flat. Another thing, a couple other things that were added to this. Um, this was the first time that um, uh, that a North American section was actually added. In all of the other previous Walt Disney World sections, including Tokyo, all you got was of, of North America was a cowboy and an Indian at the very end of the finale section. Here in Paris, there is a totally dedicated section 
the French love the West, so there's a idealized version of the West with Kachina dolls that are kind of chanting or singing along. Uh, you have a Hollywood section. You have a New York uh, Statue of Liberty section to the North American um, area. It's, it's a, a very elaborate version. And since then, um, Hong Kong and subsequently Tokyo has added North American sections as well. So it's very different in that regard. Um, another thing that's also um, uh, distinctly different, and it took me a while to realize that this was the case, is that the design style of the flats and the scenes and the backgrounds are not the same. All the dolls and the toys are the same. All the different, you know, uh, kinds of iconic things like Cleopatra on a couch or the the Can Can Girl. They're all the same. They're all there, but they're in a very different color set, which is very colorful, but it is not the Mary Blair um, style, which tends to use a lot more lines. It tends to use a lot more angles and, and sharp edges. This is very flowing, more organic in design. And so as you study the video, you'll see at the, that it has a very different look. And that look also extends to the outside. Well, initially you say, okay, this looks like the same kind of exterior that you find at Disneyland. In truth, there's a couple of differences. One is that they have they were the first to add a pastel color palette to um, that exterior. They did that because honestly, with the, with the, the weather, it is, really um the weather just is not just would have faded out the white and so to punch it up they've added the pastel colors to kind of add more color to it also the traditional clock tower smiling face is actually half sun and half moon moving back and forth um and the loading and unloading area is on the exterior just like disneyland's but it's all covered because you have very inclement weather going on in in Europe. And frankly, I don't care much for, I wish they had put that into the interior. I think that was a miss that they didn't put it in the interior, but, but you have an exterior covering. You also have, um, there also have been topiaries on that as well. If you recall um, the original, it's a small world at Disneyland and still has, has these sculpted topiaries in the gardens on the exterior. Disneyland doesn't have that. Um, Tokyo may have had a few of them um, in it, but they didn't have a lot of space for gardening and the loading unloading area was on the interior. But here in Paris, they've, added, they've had some, some topiaries as well added to that. From, uh, well, gee, 1992, we jump over 15 years before the final It's a Small World it opens up, and that's with Hong Kong Disneyland. It did not open on opening day with the park. In fact, that was one of the missing things about Hong Kong Disneyland is while it played very true to the original Disneyland and its main street and its castle, you and, and it did have a space mountain, it did not have pirates, it did not have a haunted mansion, and it did not have small world. 
It has yet to do a Pirates. It did its own version of The Haunted Mansion with Mystic Manor eventually, which was even much later than Small World. But they did add a Small World. The difference in a Small World is the facade looks very similar to Disneyland's version. It lays to the right of it. All of the Small Worlds tend to lay to the right um, of, of Fantasyland, with the exception of Magic Kingdom, which, which bears to the left. Um, it is um, very true to a lot of the Mary Blair abstract color design styles. It's in a trough. It really follows much of the Disneyland version, but it has taken it in terms of the color and the look and the feel. It, it, it has done a fantastic job of creating a very strong color palette. And it is beautifully laid out. Um, inside. In fact, I would say up until shortly, a short time ago, it was my favorite small world with the Hong Kong Disneyland. The interior is inside. The queue weaves back and forth, kind of down a ramp until you get to the load unload area. Um, even though the exterior looks like uh, it's a small world at Disneyland out in California, the interior is the, the boarding area is on the interior like Tokyo Disneyland's is important because of the crazy weather you can get sometimes in, in Hong Kong as well. Um, the difference is on the, the, the attraction is that rather than the um, railroad bisecting the attraction like it does at Disneyland, you actually go underneath the railroad tracks, kind of like you do with Toontown at Disneyland, and then you proceed to see it's a small world behind it. So it's done a real, I like the placement here because it's still a part of Fantasyland, but it's separated out from Fantasyland, but not hidden from Fantasyland. You can still see it out there, but it's beyond the berm, so to speak, of the train going by. It, it, it's a great placement for, for where it's located. And I, I really like, I really like its layout. Also, there's a nice little ice cream parlor. I should mention, you know, we, we, we joke so much about how there's a gift shop at the end of every attraction. There is only one small world that has a gift shop, and that is Disneyland's version. It was added on over the years. Again, everything, lots of things have been added on to the Disneyland version over the years. Um, um, like the holiday version, which is also, by the way, shows up in Hong Kong and also at um, Tokyo Disney now. It does not... Or yeah, Tokyo Disney. I don't believe it shows up in Paris. Um, yeah, there is. Uh, yeah, it actually shows up in Paris as a holiday version too. The Disneyland version, by the way, is not only a holiday version. It has scents that they've been adding over the last couple of years. They've been alternating scents like cinnamon or peppermint into the attractions. So, so that has also been a part of of it. But but the only retail space has been Disneyland's. In the Hong Kong version, um, inside, uh, what is really unique and distant, different, is that first of all, the Middle East is given its own section, and Egypt, which was part of Africa, has been added to the Middle East. So you see Cleopatra and the camel in the Middle East section. Then um, you move on to Africa. And then you move on to South America. And from South America, you move to the U.S. And they have a U.S. version, a U.S. section there. And then from there, you move on before the finale to the Asia section. It's moved on to the end. 
And the highlight of the Asian section is Hong Kong itself. And it is much more beefed out. Um, actually, I, I will say, I think, uh, now they say that, the, the, the um, tropical portion, the South Seas portion, actually falls after um, Asia before you get to the finale. But the Asia section is more built out than any other section. And it's the only one that really celebrates the skyline and the waters of Hong Kong. And so it, it becomes the finale to the Asia section as a whole. Um, also, very strangely, the homage to New Zealand is not within the South Sea section, it's within Asia. So that's kind of, kind of weird too in that version. But all in all, I love this version. It's beautiful. It is, its length is uh, about nine and a half minutes. It's about the perfect length, I think, for this attraction. And it does a great job of, of being one of the great attractions. It really is one of the great attractions at Hong Kong Disneyland. Um, so well done and so beautifully done. The only thing I would say is that there was a major remodel which was done to the Tokyo Disneyland attraction back in 2018. And last year when I had a chance to get out to it, I was blown away. This has taken the attraction to another level of color and light and it plays off of the flooded plain. Everything else besides Magic Kingdom and Tokyo are trough. This is a flooded plane, which usually creates lighting problems, but they got around those lighting problems and the color and the beauty of it. First of all, it begins when you enter the interior load and unload. It did not put a clock tower in it because the clock tower is on the facade. What they did do is that they have created this um, set of murals and set of dolls and there's a small world before you get on it's a small world that's the only way i can describe it and it's beautifully done you have to watch the video and then you get on the video and you see it and it just unfolds beautifully again along the same um follow along points as as the magic kingdom version but it is beautifully well done in fact i i love the fact that they have a kind of a, a an additional hotel they've built away from property um, that builds on the same look and color of, of the design in this attraction. Still following very much to Mary Blair. Um, I should have mentioned back at Hong Kong that they added Disneyland characters to the Hong Kong version um, to make it more appealing to guests who were coming to see this. And that is unique in and of itself. When Hong Kong Disneyland's version of It's a Small World was created was that there was no real sense of reference as to what this is about. We all have grown up with the song and it's become part, you know, the whole look and feel has just become part of our lives. But here it was going to Asia and it was kind of all by itself and not tied to any intellectual property. And so they added some 38 characters to that attraction. So you would find Baloo in the Asia section. You would find um, um, 
uh, Alice in Wonderland in the UK. Um, you would find Mulan in China. And they added all these these characters. And I think it's a it works really well, especially if you're a child and you're learning about all these Disney characters to be able to go through it and see all these different Disney characters. Say, oh, there's, and I do not see a boat where that doesn't happen, where some family is all saying, oh, look, there's Cinderella, or oh, look, there's Peter Pan. Oh, look, there's Donald Duck. I see that every time I'm in a boat, people pointing out and looking for those Disney characters. So it completes the experience so well that they put it into Disneyland's version, not without enormous controversy. After they'd done Hong Kong, they later in that year redid Disneyland and they added about 29 characters in it. Not really as many apparently as was in the Hong Kong version, but boy, it got a lot of fanfare. Oh, you're changing the original attraction and everything. Nobody cares about that. You know, at 12 years later, nobody cares about all the hullabaloo that went with that at the time. Uh, it too, you sit in a boat and guess what? You see small children going, oh, look, you know, there's Pinocchio. Oh, look, there's, you know, um, it, there's Ariel. Oh, look, there's Stitch. You see kids always pointing, and adults pointing out um, those Disney characters. I should mention, since I, I was talking about Tokyo, they did the same thing. They added 40 characters in the Tokyo version. I think it has a Rapunzel and none of the others do. I want to, and it has on an Elsa, uh, maybe a Rapunzel. Yeah, I know that those characters have been added as well to the Tokyo version. Um, where am I going with this? I, if, you, if you know my love of all things Tokyo, you should not be surprised. But of all the It's a Small Worlds, I gotta tell you, Tokyo just does it better. It's on the flooded plain, which I prefer, and yet it is colorful, it's bright. I would pray that Walt Disney World would take the cue from, from the Tokyo version, and it's okay if they didn't do the exterior or the, or the boarding area, but if they could do the ride portion the way uh, it's done it, at Tokyo Disneyland, it would make it a beloved attraction for so many more years to come. Tokyo Disneyland, of all the small worlds, are is just really the best. But that said and done, you can't go wrong anytime you're on It's a Small World. And, you know, I just love this attraction. I love this ride. It's part of my heart. Um, you need to join us later this week because I'm going to talk about this attraction in the context of uh, some really important lessons which come out of uh, not only from the attraction but from the lives of the people who made it a reality. So be sure uh, to join us later this, this week. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast um, uh, with that. Um, and with that, thank you for joining us for this Disney Play podcast. If you're listening, you undoubtedly have a love of all things Disney. Don't you wish you could bring the magic to your own place of employment? That's what we do with uh, Disney at Work, our sister uh, site, DisneyAtWork.com. We bring you best in business ideas from the happiest place on earth to you, to your workplace. And we do it via our posts, our podcasts, our videos on a YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe there. Our books, check them out programs and consulting 
Even during these difficult times, we are still doing programs for other organizations, reaching out to them, helping them get through these difficult times. So check us out on performancejourneys.com or disneyatwork.com or disneyatplay.com. All of them point back to it. Thank you for joining us for this week's show. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we really appreciate those who take the time to share this podcast and others like it with friends and colleagues. In the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage, episode 37, which uses the same boat flooded plane, look, be sure to follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. <laughs>